This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Mott and Bailey We here at the Word of the Week love castles. And who doesn't? We recently found ourselves reflecting on just how fantastic castles are as we started rewatching the Harry Potter films and marveling at the amazing edifice that is Hogwarts' castle of witchcraft and wizardry. And if you're a fan of the Harry Potter franchise, you might have heard that Hogwarts is a real place. Oh, we don't mean that there is an actual hidden wizarding school tucked away in the English countryside somewhere. We're sorry to tell you, especially if you still think an owl is one day going to show up and deliver your acceptance letter. We're sorry to tell you that it is not. But it was filmed in an actual castle. Those soaring towers and spires, the windowed great hall, the huge clock tower, the covered bridge, they are really somewhere in the world. And you can go see them. Right? Well, yes, actually, you can. And no, you can't. If you're a Harry Potter fan, we're about to shatter some of your illusions. We're going to ruin some of the magic in your world. And we know that Harry Potter fans are very protective of their illusions. But there is a truth hidden away behind all the magic. When you strip away the massive spires that that Hungarian horntail chased Harry Potter around during the Triwizard Tournament, and the giant clock tower that Harry and Hermione raced through to get back to where they started after using the Time Turner in time to spare Buckbeak and Sirius Black from their executions... There's a stout, humble bit of truth underlying it all. A humble origin for every castle ever. And it's actually pretty amazing to picture all of the castles in books and movies and realize that they all began the same way. They began with a hill and a ditch. But before we can talk about that, let's get back to Hogwarts. Or rather, Alnwick. Or rather, a digitally enhanced model of a castle that never existed. Sorry, ripping off a band-aid is easier if you do it quickly. It's popular knowledge that the Harry Potter movies were filmed on location at an actual castle. Specifically, Alnwick Castle in Northumberland in England. Alnwick Castle was built shortly after the Norman Conquest of England in the 9th century CE. And remember that. It's going to be important later. Because the construction of castles in England following the Norman Conquest really reinvented the concept of the European castle. But we'll come back to that. We're talking about Alnwick Castle. Alnwick Castle is the castle and stately home of the Duke of Northumberland. A duke is, of course, a nobleman who rules over a dukedom or dukey. And the reason we call it a castle and stately home is because not all castles were residences for nobles. Stately home is the term for the residence of an aristocratic family. That is, it was the center of an estate. And if you remember our discussion about feudalism in our Waddle and Daub episode, you'll recall the significance of that. And if you don't remember that discussion, well, we guess you have something to go back and listen to. Because this whole castle thing was very central to feudalism. Anyway, Alnwick Castle is about 900 years old. 
though it has been renovated, repaired, and remodeled numerous times. And it is the second largest inhabited castle in all of England, following Windsor Castle. But these days, feudalism doesn't really pay the way it used to, what with the Magna Carta and that whole constitutional monarch and parliamentary democracy business. And so, Alnwick Castle supports itself these days in a number of ways. The first is tourism. The castle houses a number of interesting historical exhibits, the most prominent of which focuses on the various dukes of Northumberland and their archaeological relics, because the various patriarchs of Alnwick loved archaeology. The exhibits include displays of frescoes from ancient Pompeii and relics from ancient Egypt. Other displays focus on the military history of England, and there are also gift shops, cafes, and restaurants. The other way that the castle's owners make some money is by renting out the castle to movie makers. Because the castle is a very large and very iconic representation of early Middle Ages architecture, and it has impressive and extensive grounds. Before Harry Potter studied magic at Alnwick Castle, Kevin Costner fought Prince John and the Sheriff in Nottingham there as Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And before that, Rowan Atkinson's comedic anti-hero Prince Edmund Blackadder ruled over the castle. And if you've seen all of those things, well... Congratulations, you are a pop-cultural cosmopolitan whose experiences transcend the generations. But you might also notice that the castles in Robin Hood and Blackadder look nothing like Hogwarts Castle at all. And that's because the iconic exterior design of Hogwarts Castle of Witchcraft and Wizardry has nothing to do with any real castle. It was a gigantic model, enhanced with a lot of digital effects. You did actually see the outer bailey of Alnwick Castle when Harry Potter learned to fly a broomstick in his first year. And Harry and Ron crashed Ron's father's flying Ford Anglia into the inner bailey of the same castle in the second year. And many of the courtyards and halls were used to film the students going about their daily business. But that's about all you saw of Alnwick Castle in the films. But you did see some other impressive locations. For example, Hogwarts Library? That was actually Oxford University's Duke Humphreys Library. And the Great Hall where the kids dine? Well, that was in a replica of the Great Hall at Christ Church College in England, built on a soundstage. And some of the cloisters and courtyards that you saw weren't Alnwick Castle at all. They came from Durham Cathedral in northeastern England. And the Charms classroom was actually a classroom at Harrow School in Harrow-on-the-Hill outside of London. I guess, while we're on the subject, we should actually discuss what a bailey is. Especially since it's part of the actual word of the week. And we can discuss some of the other parts of a castle as well. And we should probably define what a castle actually is. A castle is a fortified building or group of buildings built primarily for military defense. Most castles consist of a thick outer wall, which is usually called a curtain wall or a bailey. Though a bailey also refers to the space enclosed by the walls of a castle. And depending on how many walls there are, and how many sections they divide the castle into, the castle might have mini baileys. They might have outer baileys, and inner baileys, and upper baileys, and lower baileys, and main baileys. But the most important part of the castle is the keep or dungeon. That's the most fortified building that forms the heart of the castle. And honestly, that's all you need to have a castle. A keep, curtain walls, and a gate that gets you through the walls. But a castle like Alnwick or Windsor is actually a bit more complex. 
and later European castles added even more parts to the basic castle. For example, a castle might include a moat, basically a ditch around the castle that made it hard to approach the walls. The moat might be filled with water, or it might be filled with stakes, or it might just be a steep-walled empty pit. Obviously, if you had a moat, you needed a way to cross it, and that meant that you needed a bridge that could be raised and lowered, a drawbridge. And once you got across the moat, you needed a way through the curtain wall, so you'd have a gatehouse. I mean, you could just have a gate, but gatehouses often included murder holes in the ceiling so that defenders could pour boiling oil over unwanted guests, like invading armies and solicitors. And if you really wanted an extra layer of defense, you could add a freestanding extra gatehouse before the drawbridge called a barbican. To defend your castle from encroachers, you'd need a way to see attackers coming and attack in any direction, so your curtain wall was often anchored by towers located at strategic points. Corner towers anchored the walls, while flanking towers stood in the middle of the curtain walls, and your walls and towers were often topped with battlements or crenellations, alternating defensive structures that looked like teeth and allowed your soldiers to take cover from enemy archers atop the wall while defending your castle. You could even build projecting parapets around your tower and along your walls. Those are basically walkways that extend from the castle's buildings. And they were usually protected by protective walls. And once you had those projecting walkways hanging out over the edge of the castle, you could leave openings in them so you could drop rocks or boiling water or cooking oil on anyone getting too close to your castle walls. Those openings are called machicolations. And they generally opened between the corbels supports that held the parapet up in the first place. And if you're going to be dropping things along the outside walls of your castle, you might angle the bottom of the curtain walls and towers like a skirt so that anything you drop will scatter away from your castle and cause chaos in the ranks of any besiegers. That angled wall is called the mantlet wall or apron wall, or the French call it a chemise. Look, we can keep listing castle parts for hours because castles became incredibly complex as time went on. But if you'd like a really good tour of a medieval castle that is buried inside a time-traveling mystery story and narrated by a sarcastic artificially intelligent sculptor from a space station near Saturn, may we recommend you get yourself a copy of The Journeyman Project 2, Buried in Time. Yeah, you heard that right. Let's explain. The Journeyman Project Trilogy was a series of three PC adventure games involving time travel, and we loved them. We actually played them out of order, playing the third one first, which made things a little tricky to grasp. In each game, you take on the role of Gage Blackwood. He's basically a time cop who protects the future from being changed. By the way, it's the future, and time travel is a thing. The second and third games involve a complex mystery in which you are framed by a fellow agent for crimes against temporality, and discover the Galactic Federation, which Earth is trying to join, has visited Earth before, and some of Earth's mysterious, forgotten civilizations, like those at El Dorado and Atlantis, were wiped out by said aliens, and, well, the third game gets complicated, and a bit History Channel presents more ancient aliens BS, but it's fun as all get out anyway. But that second game, in that second game, you visit a number of historical locations, including a castle called Chateau Gellard during the Hundred Years' War. 
and your wisecracking AI sidekick tells you all of the historical details of castle construction and medieval warfare that you might want to know. And it's pretty accurate, especially because Chateau Gaillard is a real castle, and an impressive one at that. And the event that you travel to in the game? It really happened. Chateau Gaillard was built by Richard the Lionheart, Richard I of England, Duke of Normandy. Now, this is during the time period that we've discussed before, when, through the complexities of feudalism, the King of England was also the owner of land in France. Well, near France. And King Philip Augustus was starting to eye that land pretty avariciously. He wanted it and he had started expanding his control of the lands of what we'd call France until he was basically on Normandy's doorstep. And King Richard was not happy about this. The problem was, Philip was going to move, fast. So Richard had to be fast too. In less than one year, between 1197 and 1198 CE, Richard I sent an army of 6,000 laborers and masons to Normandy to build a massive stronghold so that Philip would realize he couldn't take the land. It is said that when Richard looked upon the edifice, he said, How beautiful she is, my one-year-old daughter. What a Gaillard castle. And he meant, what a well-protected castle. That's what Gaillard means. And so, his castle was dubbed Chateau Gaillard, the well-fortified home. The castle included numerous innovations. Embossed walls made of 19 arcs rather than smooth walls, which allowed his arrow slits to look out in every direction, and also made it harder for projectiles to catch hold. The castle's gate wasn't built in line with the interior, but rather sideways. You'd have to walk along the walls of the castle for some way to reach the gate and expose yourself to attack from atop the walls. And it was built atop and along a rocky plateau, so that it could only be approached from one direction. Basically, the castle was unsinkable. And then Richard died. Literally a year after the castle was done, Richard died in battle from an infected arrow wound. Which is good. Because he never had to see his Titanic hit an iceberg. The fall of Chateau Gaillard began when John Lackland succeeded his brother, Richard I. John wanted to avoid war with France, and so he signed a treaty with Philip Augustus that basically made him a vassal of the French king for all of his holdings except those in England itself. In other words, he pledged his inherited lands in Normandy to the service of King Philip, which was fine. He'd still be allowed to govern and tax the land. It was just at Philip's grace that he did so, right? Well, here's the thing. Once Philip had the treaty, all he had to do was make up some fake criminal charges against John, and then John would have to forfeit all of his lands, except England, to King Philip. And guess what happened? Exactly. John was tried and found guilty in absentia of disobedience to his king and was commanded to forfeit his lands. But John wasn't ready to surrender the land. And he knew the castle couldn't be taken by storm. It was unsinkable. And the governor of the castle, Roger Delasky, had enough food to keep everyone alive for a year. Well, 
everyone except the villagers took refuge in the castle because, surprise, surprise, the French army showed up on the doorstep of Chateau Gallard. Delasky ejected the villagers from the castle, but the French army wouldn't let them cross the siege line. So the thousands of villagers wandered between the French army and the castle walls until they succumbed to cold and starvation and died. For seven months, the French army blockaded the impenetrable castle, but they gave no thought to storming it. Until one day, they decided to just conquer the unconquerable. First, they built a covered walkway right up to the castle's outer moat. Under the cover of the walkway, they were able to move up rocks and dirt and fill in the moat without the castle's defenders able to do anything about it. Thus, they reached the outer wall of the castle, which they undermined. The outer walls taken, the defenders had to retreat to the inner walls. To take the inner wall, wily invaders entered through a toilet. Yes, really. See, it was pretty standard to build latrines into the outside walls of a structure with the actual, you know, the hole where the stuff goes, just hanging out there. So when you sit down and do your business, it falls through the hole and outside the structure. And some of the French invaders located the exhaust port, as it were, for one of these latrines and climbed into one of the towers of the inner wall. And then they took the inner wall. Or else they might have broken in through a badly protected chapel that John had added because he had no command of defensive architecture, and then the French lied and claimed they had climbed in through the toilet instead, so they didn't have to admit they had defiled a holy chapel. Historians are still arguing about that. And after the incident, Normandy became part of France, and the castle became French, until it became English again. And then French again. Chateau Gallard changed hands a lot during the Hundred Years' War. But what's interesting about the Journeyman Project trilogy is what is interesting about the real edifice underneath the CGI smoke and mirrors that creates Hogwarts Castle, and what is interesting about every castle in Europe. It's that it started off small and simple. The original Journeyman Project game wasn't an educational time-traveling mystery epic. It was a pretty simple full-motion video puzzle game about stopping three robots from causing Armageddons in the future by playing Mastermind and following patterns of colored lights. It was fun, sure, but it was just a sci-fi puzzle game with a thin time-travel mystery plot, and it didn't even involve time travel to any cool past historical events. And it was created by a small group of friends assembled by a game designer named Michael Cripolani. The group rented a house together and worked on the game for two years, going unpaid for their efforts. It was, admittedly, one of the earliest CD-ROM games to exist, one of the first games to use high-quality 3D-rendered graphics extensively, and one of the first games to make extensive use of full-motion video. And as such, it was well-received by fans and critics alike, despite the fact that it had severe performance issues. It was later cleaned up and re-released, and it spun into a very interesting three-game epic story that is definitely worth playing. Kind of like how this story about impenetrable Norman castles being seized by the French begins with simple wooden towers on hilltops. In Normandy. And then became so much more. If you recall, after the fall of the Roman Empire, people were left to fend for themselves. We talked about this in our episode about mercenaries. Eventually, well-trained soldiers without an empire to serve teamed up with groups of peasants to provide them with defense from the other soldiers and peasants. In exchange, the soldiers would be fed and housed. And that was the origin of feudalism, right? Well, the protectors of the land needed ways to defend the people under their charge. 
So they started to surround their villages, or at least the most important central parts of their villages, with wooden stockade walls. And these were called baileys, as were the areas enclosed by the stockade walls. Meanwhile, these new landlords also needed a home of their own, which would also serve as a defensive fallback in case the walls failed. So at the heart of their little village, they'd construct a fortified timber home. But to give it extra protection, instead of just building the timber building on the ground, they'd dig a deep circular ditch and use the earth they excavated from the ditch to build a rounded hill-like mound in the middle. And they'd build their little timber fortification on top of that. And that ditch and mound setup was called a mot. And thus were born the first castles, Mott and Bailey castles. Eventually, of course, they started building stone keeps instead of wooden ones. After all, stone doesn't burn or rot like wood does. And so the rather ramshackle Mott and Bailey castles became a little tougher. But castles still followed the same basic Mott and Bailey construction until the Normans conquered England. Then everything changed. When the Normans sailed across the channel into England, they brought a bunch of prefabricated timber structures with them so they could quickly establish Mott and Bailey fortifications as they fought across England. But they had two problems. First, the Mott and Bailey structures were rickety and didn't last very long. Second, the Normans had to run a whole country here. Their castles had to be more than just forts. They had to be seats of governance and seats of religion. They had to be the center of the community and impose their will on the community. So they started to build more impressive structures out of stone. Unfortunately, those stone structures were too heavy for earthen mounds, so that idea was discarded. But the ditch, the moat, that was still a useful defensive structure, as was the bailey. And thus castles and feudalism evolved together, the one shoring up the other. And the structure of castles evolved and spread across Europe, from simple Mott and Bailey structures through to the most impressive of all, the Edwardian concentric castles. And so too did government evolve from simple feudalism to the complexities of the chivalric code and then to complex monarchies and aristocracies. All adding another layer of complexity, another layer of the fantastic over the humble military fort hidden in the middle. And then someone invented gunpowder and cannons and ruined it all because modern science and technology always ruin majesty and magic. But that's a story for another time. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. Thank you.